live from Liverpool, the Dark Paranormal, season 13. Hi everyone and welcome back to The Dark Paranormal, Season 13. Now although the paranormal never stops for us here on the show or indeed for you the listener, for everyone else this is spooky season, we're entering October and indeed Halloween. Now personally as a podcast listener as well as a creator, this is my favourite time of the year because Podcasts which don't normally cover these things tend to cover quite a few good scary stories. And if you're anything like me, it will take you till the beginning of December to get through every special that you've downloaded. At this time of year, every paranormal podcast ups the ante. And why should we be any different? As I mentioned last season, this season will feature one or two more famous cases which don't get the coverage they deserve. And so, for our season debut episode of Season 13, we're going to take a look at a little-known case about a possession in South Africa in the early 1900s. But this is not your typical possession and exorcism story. This was witnessed by over 170 people. And this is also not your normal possessing demon. This is no Baal or Pazuzu. This is apparently Satan himself. But before we head into the darkness, which is today's debut episode, we of course need to thank our wonderful new team over at Patreon. When you sign up to Patreon, not only will you receive these episodes, the debut episodes, finale episodes, and every episode in between, both ad-free and before everyone else, you can also receive exclusive access to the Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites. Dark Bites is a 30-minute Patreon-only podcast, and it runs every Sunday of the year, even on the downtime between seasons. Which means by signing up, you don't need to wait three weeks for that dark paranormal fix. And there are currently over 50 hours worth of Patreon-only podcasts for you to binge. But the best part about it is we've built a wonderful community of like-minded paranormal enthusiasts over at Patreon. And we'd like to extend an exclusive invitation just for you. Simply head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal and we'll read your name out at the end of the show as a thank you joining patreon not only allows this show to keep going but it also means you get to hear paranormal experiences only for the ears of our patreons so this trick or treat season give yourself a treat head over to patreon.com forward slash the dark paranormal But right now, I've waited a good few weeks to say the following sentence. Please, lower the lights, make yourself comfortable, and most importantly, leave your disbelief at the door. As we hear all about the possession of Clara Germana Selle. No animal had ever made such sounds. 
neither the lions of East Africa nor the angry bulls. At times, it sounded like a veritable herd of wild beasts, orchestrated by Satan, had formed a hellish choir. That was a direct quote from one of the nuns at St. Michael's Mission, Natala, South Africa. It was an unusually cool morning in Natal, South Africa, as Sister Bernadette carried out her usual three laps of the building first thing of the morning. Having completed her third lap, she closed her eyes and took a deep breath of the morning brisk air and started to make her way back inside, only to notice a bundle at her feet. How she'd missed this now clearly moving bundle of blankets sat on the steps on the first two of her rounds, she didn't know. She crossed herself and gave out an audible sigh, as sadly, this was not an unusual occurrence for the mission. And who do we have here then? She muttered to herself as she bent down and scooped up the baby. She stepped out onto the street just to give one last check for the child's parents, hoping she could maybe talk to them into changing their decision, with help from the mission, of course. But the street was deserted. And so Sister Bernadette walked back into the mission with yet another abandoned child, a child that would be brought up by the nuns and priests of St. Michael's Mission, a child baptised, a child given the name Clara, Clara Germana Selle. It's now 16 years later, and Father Erasmus rubbed his chin, sat in his confessional booth. You're going to have to say that again. I think I misheard you, Clara, he said in a low tone. His voice had the hint of amusement. Clara cleared her throat and anxiously repeated her confession. <clears throat> I've made a pact with Satan, and I need to confess before it's too late. I, I, I think, I think... Clara, 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 interrupted Father Erasmus. How old are you now? Sixteen, is it? Yes, Father. The priest smiled. Sweet child, at this age, your body's going through many changes. Your emotions will be... Father! Clara shouted, her voice clearly panicked. I need to confess. Clara, compose yourself, Father Erasmus retorted. The pair sat in awkward silence, separated only by the small metal latticed window within the wooden confessional. The priest calmly chastised Clara for her outburst, ordering her to leave the confessional, kneel in the front pew, and reflect on her behaviour whilst repeating the Lord's Prayer. The following evening, in a shadowy hidden corner of the hallway, by the sliver of moonlight which made its way through the end of hall window, a sister Amy finished reading a letter that left her in deep emotional turmoil. You see, a local labourer 
who she'd been communicating with ever since he carried out some work at the mission a few weeks prior, had now sent a letter. A letter that she'd both expected and feared. Expected because their communications had become ever more flirtatious. And feared because, despite her religious vocation, part of her felt the same way. The excitement of it all. The way her heart would jump each time she recognised his handwriting when the post would... Amy folded away the letter. Someone was in the Grand Hall at this time of night. She crept to the edge of the opening of the hall. She was unsure what she was witnessing, but she knew who it was. Clara, barefoot, running one side of the room to the other, tearing at her clothes, pulling at her hair occasionally stopping and angrily pointing at the roof in a chilling, whispered shout. You promised me. Sister Amy toyed with intervening, but decided she should get some form of backup. Clara didn't look in a normal frame of, Hello, Sister Amy. Clara stood facing the wall that she just reached. She turned and faced the nun, smiled and smoothed down her hair, straightened her clothes. Uh, are you okay, Clara? asked Sister Amy. Yes, Sister. I just had restless legs. I was trying to make myself tired. Sister Amy smiled and nodded. Well, perhaps time for bed now, then. Clara smiled in response and half-bowed. She walked towards the sister, still smiling. But Sister Amy noticed the smile drop as she approached. A small panic filled her. And she took a step back to allow Clara more space. But as she grew closer, Amy realised Clara's gaze was fixed above the alcove from the Grand Hall to the hallway, where Sister Amy stood. Seemingly it, whatever it was had removed the smile and feigned joy from Clara's face. Her gaze remained fixed as she walked through, even craning her neck backwards as she passed through the arch. Once through, her smile returned, and she looked at Sister Amy, smiling once more. Good night, Sister. Amy forced a smile back. Good night, Clara, dear. Sister Amy watched Clara head towards her room. Once out of sight, Amy stepped down into the Grand Hall to look above the alcove to see what was the focus of Clara's attention. Of course, how could she forget? It was a giant wooden carving of Our Lord on the Cross. Clara's actions caused Sister Amy great distress. She had a good relationship with her, usually. Growing up, Sister Amy would give Clara souvenirs from any pilgrimages that she made. Usually medals, small tin imprints of the relevant saint, with a small string looped through it. Clara had formed quite the collection, and Sister Amy smiled at that thought, 
as she stood back and admired the crucifix on the wall. Sister Amy tentatively walked back up to the hallway, where she was met by a wild-eyed Clara. Sister, please, call Father Erasmus. I must confess and tell everything. He must believe me, but quick, quickly, or Satan will kill me. He has me in his power. Nothing is blessed with me. I've thrown away all of the medals you gave me. Sister Amy, not knowing what to do, just hugged the girl, making shushing sounds. She could feel the poor girl's heart on her own chest, pounding away. She knew, be it spiritual, mental or both, Clara needed help. First thing, child, first thing in the morning I will... No, now, Clara shouted. Sister Amy pulled her in tight to her chest, reciting the Hail Mary in her head, whilst rocking Clara left and right, continuing to shush her until the girl seemed to collapse sobbing in her arms. As Clara calmed, Sister Amy explained that she could stay in her room with her tonight, and they could both go and talk to Father Erasmus first thing in the morning. Now, although Clara seemed to calm, Sister Amy felt this was something. If normal, everyday Clara was 100% Clara, this poor young girl almost hyperventilating in her arms, felt, well, different. Little did she know just how different things were about to become. The next morning, Sister Amy led Clara back to her own room and then proceeded to hold counsel with Father Erasmus and Mother Superior. The girl says she's made a pact with Satan himself. Sister Amy meekly confessed, staring at the floor. Mother Superior Bernadette rolled her eyes and smiled, looking over at Father Erasmus, fully expecting her disbelief to be mirrored. Only the priest had a serious expression, his eyes fixed with concern on Sister Amy. She claimed the same to me the other day. But, sister, what makes you believe this is anything other than the imagination of a child? The priest's face was serious for one reason. You see, he'd replayed Clara's confession over and over in his mind, wondering if he'd made the right choice. Sister Amy met his gaze. Last night, in the Great Hall, it... Well, for a small time at least, well, it felt like it wasn't Clara. I was afraid, I'm rather ashamed to say. She flicked a glance over to the now enraged face of Mother Superior and then quickly stirred back at the floor. She knew this was embarrassing for the senior nun. Well, I really thought better of your senses, uttered Bernadette, shaking her head. Father Erasmus raised a hand towards Mother Superior. Don't chastise the sister for showing concern to the girl. Mother Superior bowed her head. Let's go and speak to Clara, right now, all three of us, he said, rising from his chair. The three of them walked down the hall to Clara's room. Father Erasmus raised his hand to knock, but stopped. 
A low, animal-like growl could be heard from inside the room. Mother Superior took the lead and knocked hard on the girl's door. Clara opened the door. You know full well there are no animals allowed in... Clara opened the door. Her hair was wild, her bedclothes ripped, but her face seemed its usual innocent self. Mother Superior stomped into the room. Where is it? The dog. Clara shook her head. There is no dog, Mother Superior. Father Erasmus's face shone true concern now. A quick glance around the room saw the bed had been moved, as had a heavy wardrobe which took three men to install. He placed his hand on Clara's shoulder. Tidy yourself up, Clara dear, and head over to the chapel. I'm now ready to hear your confession. Father Erasmus sat in the priest section of the confessional, anxiously awaiting the lattice window to his left to let through a shaft of light which would indicate Clara had taken her seat. Clara entered the booth. But something was different. She was calm. There was even a lilt to her voice. To Father Erasmus, this somehow felt more intimidating than when she was hysterical. In a very calm voice, Clara spoke. Father, I need to confess that I've made a pact with Satan. There was a long pause. <laughs> Erasmus felt himself sweating at the brow, unsure of his next steps. Steadying himself mentally, he gave her God's forgiveness and issued a prayer of penance. Normally the level he would give for a minor misdemeanor, but he was unable to think straight. A held-back laugh came from Clara's booth. Oh, okay, Father, will do. Clara's ambivalence struck terror into the soul of the priest. You see, some in Catholicism believe a confession is as powerful as an exorcism. It is one of the seven holy sacraments. So either Clara is simply a brilliant actor... Or, whatever is within her is seemingly more powerful than a Catholic sacrament. This question would arise once more that coming Sunday, as Father Erasmus stood on the altar during the Catholic Mass. The usual line appeared, ready to receive the Eucharist. The rice-paper circles, which the priest handed out to the faithful to eat, had according to Catholic faith, just underwent, via prayer, what's known as transubstantation, or the changing from mere rice paper to the body of Jesus Christ, arguably making it the most important of all the blessed sacraments. Therefore, Father Erasmus kept an eye on where within the line Clara was stood, as she slowly worked her way towards him. The priest felt his pulse race as the penultimate child stepped to the side and crossed themselves, and up stepped Clara. The body of Christ, muttered Father Erasmus. Amen, Clara smiled back, 
Now, there are two ways to receive the Eucharist. You could either hold out your hands, or you can open your mouth and have the priest place the Eucharist inside your mouth. Every Mass up until today, Clara had taken the Eucharist in her hands. But today, she opened her mouth and awaited for Father Erasmus to place the host on her tongue. She stared him in the eye as he done so, slowly crossed herself and chewed the communion bread as if it was five times larger than it was. She took one over-exaggerated gulp, gave the priest one final smile and headed back to the pew. Let's have a quick break to talk to you about Policy Genius. Now, we all like to put off life insurance talk because it reminds us of our mortality. But life insurance isn't about death, it's about life. It's about ensuring the lives of those you love remain secure and comfortable. And I'm sure many of you will think, well, I'm covered through work or I'm covered through my bank accounts. But believe me, you want to check those finer details because you may be surprised what you're actually covered for. And this is exactly where Policy Genius come into their own. Yes, we could talk about how Policy Genius is America's leading online insurance marketplace or how their award-winning agents will walk you step by step through the entire process. But the best thing about Policy Genius for me is they don't have a dog in the fight. They're not going to strong arm you towards one company or another. They've no incentive to do so. Their only incentive is to listen to your needs, scour America's top companies and find you the best price. For example, with Policy Genius, you can find life insurance policies that begin at just $292 per year for $1 million of coverage. Some options even offer same-day approval and avoid unnecessary medical exams. There's a reason why Policy Genius has thousands of five-star reviews on Google and Trustpilot, and you'll find out what it is when you tick life insurance off your to-do list with Policy Genius. So head over to policygenius.com or click the link in the description to get your free life insurance quotes and see how much you can save. That's policygenius.com. Mother's Day is almost here, and you can get her the most beautiful time-tested gift around. A watch she can wear every day for movement. Whether mom's into classic dress watches, rare and refined ceramics, or tried-and-true bestsellers, movement has something she'll love. And right now, you can save big on the best Mother's Day gift ever with up to 50% off site-wide during Movement's Mother's Day sale at MVMT.com. Again, that's up to 50% off at MVMT.com. And you say this girl's had confession? Erasmus nodded in reply. And she's also had the Eucharist? Asked Father John Horner, leaning forward resting his elbows on his knees. Yes, both. But there's something there. I believe her, John. Father Horner rubbed his chin before thoughtfully considering his next words. But if she had an attachment of any kind, she'd react to one sacrament, let alone two. Father Erasmus shrugged. I'd have thought so too. Erasmus respected Father Horner. He was a few years his senior, both in age and time served. Father Horner thought for a while, staring off into space, and then flippantly remarked, she must be making the whole thing up, making a dismissive gesture. Erasmus shook his head. I felt it, John. We've all felt it. 
Well, the mind can do funny things to you. Especially if you're all prodding each other on with spooky tales, replied Horner, standing as he ended his sentence. He walked over and opened a small cabinet. Here, he handed Erasmus a small glass vial of liquid, exquisitely crafted in the shape of the Virgin Mary with Christ as a child. What is this? Is this holy water? asked Erasmus. No, it's simply water. Looks the part though, right? smiled Father Horner. Look, when you get back, splash some of this on her. Show her the bottle. If she reacts, she's nothing but a liar. But she hasn't reacted to two sacraments, so I wouldn't expect her to. Father Horner silenced Erasmus by waving his hand. Do you think, if you tried really hard, I could slap your bare thigh, hard, and you'd show no emotion? Erasmus thought. Um, probably, if I had time to focus and brace myself. Okay, replied Father Horner. And what if... Ah! shouted Erasmus as Horner quickly slapped him on the back of the thigh, laughing. Horner shrugged. Erasmus understood. Horner pointed at the glass bottle. If she reacts to that water, she's a fraud. Have some holy water on hand, in something inconspicuous like a mug. Accidentally spill it on her. If she doesn't react to that, then she's a fraud. And what if she's not a fraud, John? Father Horner raised his eyebrows. If she's not a fraud? Well, in that case, you're dealing with a demon. A demon who's laughed in the face of not one but two of the blessed sacraments. Therefore, if she's telling you it's Satan, well, you could count on one hand the number of demons with that much strength, and he'd certainly be one of them. Father Erasmus arrived back at St. Michael's to find Mother Superior standing on the mission steps, anxiously fumbling through her rosary beads. She ran to him as she noticed he'd arrived. Father, oh father, she gripped the priest's lapels. We've locked her in her room. We had no choice. The sisters are all terrified. The devil has her father. The devil has her. Father Erasmus gently removed her hands and tried to speak calmly. Okay, it's okay. It's not okay, it's not okay, replied the nun, almost angry. Father, the girl was floating, fast asleep, floating five feet in the air. That's beyond proof enough that she's been taken, and her nightclothes were bound to her, not draping off her as she rose. It's as if the very gravity around her did not exist. Erasmus began walking quickly towards the girl's room, nodding as Mother Superior continued spouting her concerns. Not that he was listening in the slightest. Instead, he was fumbling in his pockets for the impressive moulded glass vial that Father Horner had given him. Unlock her door, he said, pointing at the lock of the bedroom. Mother Superior fumbled with the keys... Clara was sat on the side of her bed. Hello, father, she smiled. 
the door slammed behind them. Father Erasmus feigned a smile, while simultaneously attempting to remove the lid of the bottle hidden inside his right-hand pocket. How are you, Clara? I'm fine, Father. How's Father Horner? Erasmus was about to reply that he was fine, until it dawned on him she wouldn't know where he'd been. Now that is a beautiful vial. Clara nodded towards the priest's pocket. Erasmus cleared his throat. <clears throat> yes, Father Horner gave it to me. It's holy water. Really? Clara sarcastically replied. Well, how very special. Father Erasmus felt lost regarding his next move, so he decided to improvise. It's not just holy water, he confidently stated. No, said Clara. No, Erasmus replied, and he smiled. Mother Superior, would you fetch a few of the sisters, please? Mother Superior nodded and left the room. Clara's smile dropped slightly. You see, continued the father, this holy water was blessed by the Holy Father himself, the Pope. Mother Superior re-entered, along with Sister Amy and two other nuns. Wonderful, said Father Erasmus. I was just explaining to Clara here how we have been gifted something exceptionally holy by Father Horner. Holy water blessed by none other than the Pope himself. He presented the beautifully crafted vial. The nuns, all completely unaware that it contained mere water, gasped at the very thought. I thought we would all have a blessing, right here, along with Clara. What do you think, Clara? Clara's face remained stoic, wary. How nice, she said. Good, I'm glad you think so, because we'll start with you. Oh, Holy Father, Erasmus began his blessing. Clara initially flinched at the first sprinkle, and then an unnaturally wide smile crossed her face. Oh, how wonderful that was, she said with glee. As Erasmus tried to internalise this response, he realised he also had three nuns in the room, each with their head bowed, awaiting their blessing. So he began with Mother Superior. Oh, Holy Father! <laughs> Clara began chuckling. One of the nuns shot her a silencing glance, and Clara bowed in an apologetic way, but still with a large grin across her face. Mother Superior raised her head, a beaming grin on her own face from the belief she'd by proxy received a papal blessing. Okay, and now Sister Amy, said Father Erasmus. Sister Amy bowed her head and... Father, said Clara. All four turned and faced her. Surely Sister Amy isn't worthy of His Holiness's blessing? Three of the four pulled a face of confusion. Sister Amy, meanwhile, felt the blood race to her cheeks. 
Or are we blessing nuns who have relations with men now? He's a labourer, isn't he, Amy? I would continue to call you sister, but I think that title's a little tarnished now. Don't you? Sister Amy ran out of the room in floods of tears, quickly followed by the other three. Erasmus grabbed her. Sister Amy, what was that? Is there any truth in what Clara said? Sister Amy sobbed. You're not in any trouble, Amy. Listen, I need to know if Clara is seeing the unknown. But, Father, she's just received a papal blessing, interrupted Mother Superior. Erasmus just glared at her and returned to Amy, who was now just crying and nodding. Yes, yes, it's true. Yes, it's all true. Father Horner arrived the following day, having received a full brief by Erasmus prior to his arrival. And how is she today? asked Horner as he sipped his tea. Today she looks like she's aged ten years overnight, replied Erasmus, shaking his head as he said so. Pass me that glass over there, said Horner, and he proceeded to fill it from a flask in his leather bag. Erasmus knew, but checked anyway. So that's actual holy water. Horner nodded. You fill a similar glass with water from the tap, and we'll both go pay her a visit. Mother Superior led the priests to Clara's door. As they walked in, a faint scent of decay loitered in the air. Father Horner, how do you do? said Clara. Both priests pulled up a chair. We've not met Clara. How did you know my name? Clara shrugged. Erasmus took a drink of his water, and Horner mimed the same. So, do you have anyone with you, Clara? asked Horner. All the while, Clara didn't move her eyes from his glass. Why did you pretend to drink your... Before Clara could finish her question, Horner, even to Erasmus's surprise, threw the contents of his glass at Clara. Almost expecting it, she moved quickly, jumping out the other side of the bed. Cunt! She shouted, gripping her right arm, where evidently some of the water had caught her. Oh, I'm so sorry, Clara. An involuntary movement in my old age said Horner, half-smiling. It is Clara I'm speaking to, right? Clara's eyes appear to form into two snake-like slits. Her breathing became heavy, and a deep, male voice replied, almost calmly, I am Satan. I thought so, said Horner under his breath. Both priests reversed out of the door and quickly locked it behind them. I don't understand, said Erasmus, how it can withstand sacraments yet be burnt by holy water. Because it's trapped, it's vulnerable, it knows that we know who it is. Normally the hardest part of an exorcism is gaining the demon's name. Satan will just give it to you. It's arrogance. Other demons fear if you have its name, you can ask God to send it away. 
but Satan sees himself as an equal to God. Erasmus interrupted, But what now? What now? Well, I've witnessed all I need. I'll get the authorization for an exorcism, and I know a good priest who can work with me. No offence, but there's a plethora of do's and don'ts, and he knows them all. Plus, we're against the clock here. He will kill that girl. It's not about her. She invited him in. He's basically trying to show his power in God's own home. The poor girl's just a pawn. Father Horner put on his jacket, picked up his bag and headed out of the mission. That same evening, September the 8th, Father Erasmus received a telegram. Exorcism granted by Bishop, September the 11th, Father Horner. As Erasmus finished the last line, there was a knock on the door. Enter! Sister Amy meekly poked her head around the door. Father, Father, forgive me, but Clara is levitating again. The priest grabbed a small vial of holy water and ran to Clara's room. A low growl seemed to come from every corner of the small room, whilst in the centre, some four feet above her bed, was a sleeping Clara. Erasmus began reciting the Lord's Prayer whilst flicking Clara with the holy water. His first flick caught her hand and it clearly singed. Her sleeping face winced. So he aimed the remaining flicks at her body, where she was covered, and slowly she lowered, until, to everyone watching, she was just a sleeping young girl. Over the following days, one thing became very clear. It knew. It knew the exorcism was coming. And as the beast took over every part of Clara, it grew. It would know when a nun would try and sneak in a crucifix, in some vain hope it would do any good. It knew everything about everyone. Not a single nun did not leave that room crying, having had their innermost darkest secrets revealed to all by a laughing Clara. And it's this very reason that an exorcist will receive confession prior to carrying out an exorcism. The demon cannot use a sin against you if you've been absolved by God. September the 11th arrived like any other day. It was a hot day in Natal, and the mission's stone walls offered a welcome relief to Fathers Horner and Mansetti. Father Mansetti had brought a large entourage with him. Having been convinced of the situation by Father Horner, he felt a group of new priests would benefit from witnessing both an exorcism and witnessing the true power of Satan firsthand. Clara's bed had been rolled into the main hall. She shown nothing but total apathy during the transfer. Now you would imagine a demon about to undertake an exorcism would be ranting and thrashing. But this was no normal demon. This apparent calmness was just thorough arrogance. 
A human wouldn't rant and rave over a line of ants at its feet. And for this demon, this was the same. The bed was held in position in the centre of the hall by a number of nuns. As Father Erasmus held the door open for Fathers Horner and Mancetti, Clara turned and smiled. Padre Mancetti, che giornata davvero bella. I take it she doesn't speak Italian, muttered Mancetti to Erasmus, who shook his head. Mancetti smiled as he opened his bag and kissed his stole, placing it around his neck. Yes, Clara, it is a beautiful day, and with God's love it will end beautifully too. To this, Clara just growled. Father Horner and Mancetti walked slowly together towards Clara, head down, reciting the Roman ritual in unison. Clara became rigid, eyes fixed firmly on the approaching priests. Once more, her eyes began to form those of a snake as her growling intensified. She was now shimmering in sweat. A concerned nun stepped forward to dab her... (coughs) Clara had bit her arm. Concerned nuns ran to her aid only to find two puncture marks, as if being bitten by an actual snake. Witnessing this, Father Horner quickly walked over to Clara, placing a small crucifix on her forehead and loudly reading in Latin. Suddenly, quickly, Clara wrapped his stole around his neck and began choking him. It took five people to release him. All the while, Clara attempted to bite anyone who came close. She eventually let go, and Father Horner fell back after being released, caught only by the fact Erasmus was in the right place at the right time. And then, a noise. A noise as if a hundred wild animals were in the room began to echo around the hall. Meanwhile, people watched in horror as they watched the bones in Clara's body seem to move under her skin and she slid under the bedclothes. The two priests, composure regained, continued with the ritual as Clara, or what was Clara, slid like a snake from under the covers to the floor and arched her back as if a cobra spitting in the direction of anyone she deemed too close. The priests doused her in holy water, raising their voices in unison, forcing this human snake back under the covers. For hours this battle ensued until finally, Clara simply closed her eyes and fell into a seemingly exhausted sleep. The priests, equally exhausted, decided to continue first thing in the morning. And at 7am the next morning, the hall was packed. Both clergy and locals had heard of the possessed girl and wanted to witness things firsthand. Horner was angry at Erasmus for allowing so many people into an exorcism. However, Mancetti explained it would be good for people to witness and understand the power of the devil, to know he exists. 
the priests began the Roman ritual again. Clara opened her eyes, still in the form of snakes, and smiled. I will give your crowd a show before I leave this sow, he muttered, and began rising from the bedclothes, levitating. Two feet, five feet, the crowd gasped in disbelief as the body of Clara turned from a horizontal position to a vertical one. Even the priest stopped. A silence filled the hall. Suddenly, Clara dropped to the bed with a bounce, weeping. The three priests looked at each other. They felt it. He was gone. Erasmus walked over and stroked Clara's face. The tired and emaciated girl was confused. She didn't know where she was or why she was in a bed surrounded by hundreds of people. Horner, as a test, passed her a crucifix, which she held on to firmly. Mancetti flicked holy water at her. No burns, no reaction. Father, where have I been? Clara asked. It doesn't matter. What matters is you are home now. Clara was saved, at least for now. You see, two years later, a nun passing Clara's room caught something in the corner of her eye, and it was Clara, five feet off her bed. Apparently, she'd made yet another pact with a demon. The details of this exorcism are much less documented. But we do know it again took two days, and this time, to announce its departure, the demon left a sulfuric smell that filled the room. After this, Clara seemingly lives demon-free, but one must ask what her side of the pact was, and what, if anything, did she get in return? One thing we do know is that at the mere age of 22, and seemingly in fine health, Clara dropped dead from heart failure. Was this causal from the alleged pact? We will never know. One thing is certain, though. If you ever wish to strike a deal with someone, maybe don't choose the one thing regarded as the evilest thing in history. The chances of it ending well are next to zero. And this brings us to the end of the debut episode of Season 13 of The Dark Paranormal. Next week we return to our listener experiences and it's certainly one you will not want to miss. Don't forget also, in the midweek, we will have an episode called A Dark Minisode, which will be between 10 and 15 minutes in length, just to keep things ticking over. Of course, if you're a Patreon, you will receive all of these episodes ad-free and before everyone else. On top of that, not only do you get to join our wonderful community of like-minded paranormal enthusiasts, 
but you also gain access to the weekly Patreon-only podcast, Dark Bites. And that weekly 30-minute show delivers experiences from our listeners solely for the ears of Patreons. And speaking of which, over the break, as is usual, we've had an influx of people who've joined our wonderful community. Therefore, we're going to read out a list of names now, and also on episode 2, 3, and maybe even into episode 4, just so we can make sure that everyone who's joined our wonderful community can get the thank you they deserve. So do not fret if you don't hear your name on this episode, it's certainly on its way. So let's begin by thanking our first wonderful new team members over at Patreon. Ida Arna, Jackie Gapes, John Dow, Tegan Fleck, Rob Evertson, Kate Kate, Ingu Bior Conrad Dottier, Donas Hohenjet, Johnny McDonough, Melissa Goodine, Theo Mercer, Victoria Smith, Haunted Pax, Luke Irvin, Karen Jordan, Daniel Chapman, Colby Smith, Sherry Rascon, Hardy Adams, Kirsten Johnson, Tony Genotolo, AG, Pity, Tony Allen, Candy Scobiel, Daniel Clark, Nancy O, Ruby Cumming, Danielle Flegg, Lauren, Alexander Garner, Ian Taylor, James, Victoria Villardi, Krista Wildflower, Chris Bogue, Danny Norrismith, Shannon Den Hartog, Miss Highgate, Austin, Lindsay Hogg, Angela Ortolan, Emily, Super Rainbow Pony, Libby Bailey, Pinky44652, Danny Bird, Chakra Magnet, Chloe Rose, Kenia Gavidia, Chloe Bowd, Salvador Martinez, Alyssa Fonaspec, Larissa Zul, Humanizia, JL Ducharme, Richie Groups Jr., Dick Moonhenchin, Kelly Ware, Veronica Cook, Rachel Schutzman, DKB, Melissa Short, Brittany Henry, Lisa Banks, Barbie, Lacey Ferris, Karen, Lillian Vanderblomen, Jane Hunter, Bianca Fuentes, Annette Forsman, Karen Douglas, Sabina Kalani, Brandy Moore, Donovan Russell, Dees Nuts, James Lee Walker, Zach Schmidt, Alex Talley, Maximus Vosberg, Carissa Nicole and Cheryl Bazaki. Thank you so much for all the support, guys. It truly means the world. I hope you enjoy all the early ad-free releases and, of course, that entire back catalogue of Dark Bites episodes. Now, believe me when I say next week's listener experience is one not to be missed. And that will air on Friday the 20th. Of course, before then, we will have our very first mini-sode, which will feature some of the experiences from my vault. For our Patreons, I'll speak to you again on Sunday for our next instalment of our Patreon-only show, Dark Bites. And for everyone else, I'll speak to you next week. Until then, remember, whenever you discuss the paranormal, always try and leave some of your disbelief at the door. And I'll speak to you next time, right here on The Dark Paranormal.